Chapter One of the Story of Red Feather. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Mira Williams. The Story of Red Feather by Edward S. Ellis. Chapter One Brother and Sister, The Signal. It is within my memory that Melvin Clarendon a lad of sixteen years, was riding through southern Minnesota in company with his sister Dorothy, a sweet little miss not quite half his own age. They were mounted on Saladin, a high-spirited, fleet, and good-tempered pony of coal-black color. Melville, who claimed the steed as his own special property, had given him his Arabian name because he fancied there were many points of resemblance between him and the winged coursers of the East, made famous as long ago as the time of the Crusades. The lad sat his horse like a skilled equestrian, and indeed it would be hard to find his superior in that respect throughout the broad stretch of sparsely settled country. Those who live on the American frontier are trained from their earliest youth in the management of quadrupeds, and often display a proficiency that cannot fail to excite admiration. Melville's fine breech-loading rifle was slung over his shoulder, and held in place by a strap that passed in front. It could be quickly drawn from its position whenever needed. It was not of the repeating pattern, but the youth was so handy with the weapon that he could put the cartridges in place, aim, and fire, not only with great accuracy, but with marked rapidity. In addition, he carried a good revolver, though he did not expect to use either weapon on the short journey he was making. He followed, however, the law of the border, which teaches the pioneer never to venture beyond sight of his home unprepared for every emergency that is likely to arise. It was quite early in the forenoon, Melville having made an early start from the border town of Barwell, and he was well on his way to his home, which lay ten miles to the south. Dot, as his little sister was called by her friends, had been on a week's visit to her uncle's at the settlement, the agreement all round being that she should stay there for a fortnight at least. But her parents and her big brother rebelled at the end of the week. They missed the prattle and sunshine which only Dot could bring into their home, and Melville's heart was delighted when his father told him to mount Saladin and bring her home. And when, on the seventh day of her visit, Dot found her handsome brother had come after her, and was to take her home the following morning, she leaped into his arms with a cry of happiness for though her relatives had never suspected it, she was dreadfully homesick and anxious to get back to her own people. In riding northward to the settlement, young Clarendon followed the regular trail over which he had passed scores of times. Not far from the house he crossed a broad stream at a point where the current, except when there was rain, was less than two feet deep. Its shallowness led to its use by all the settlers within a large radius to the southward, so that the family-marked trails converged at this point something like the spokes of a large wheel, and became one from that point northward to the settlement. A mile to the east was another crossing which was formerly used. It was not only broader, but there were one or two deep holes into which a horse was likely to plunge unless much care was used. Several unpleasant accidents of this nature led to its practical abandonment. The ten miles between the home of the Clarendons and the little town of Barwell consisted of prairie, stream, and woodland. A ride over the trail, therefore, during pleasant weather, afforded a most pleasing variety of scenery, 
this being especially the case in spring and summer. The eastern trail was more marked in this respect, and it did not unite with the other until within about two miles of the settlement. Southward from the point of union the divergence was such that parties separating were quickly lost to view of each other, remaining thus until the stream of which I have spoken was crossed. There the country became so open that on a clear day the vision covered all the space between. I have been thus particular in explaining the lay of the land, as it is called, because it is necessary in order to understand the incidents that follow. Melville laughed at the prattle of Dot, who sat in front of him, one of his arms encircling her chubby form, while Saladin was allowed to walk and occasionally gallop as the mood prompted him. There was no end of her chatter, and he asked her questions about her week's experience at Uncle Jack's, and told her in turn how much he and her father and mother had missed her, and what jolly times they would have when she got back. Melville hesitated for a minute on reaching the diverging points of the path. He was anxious to get home, but his wish to give his loved sister all the enjoyment possible in the ride led him to take the abandoned trail, and it proved a most unfortunate thing that he did so. Just here I must tell you that Melville and Doc Clarendon were dressed very much as boys and girls of their age are dressed today in the more settled parts of my native country. Remember that the incidents I have set out to tell you took place only a very few years ago. Instead of the coonskin cap, buckskin suit, leggings, and moccasins of the early frontier, Melville wore a straw hat, a thick flannel shirt, and, since the weather was quite warm, he was without a coat or vest. His trousers, of the ordinary pattern, were clasped at the waist by his cartridge belt, and his shapely feet were encased in strong, well-made shoes. His revolver was thrust in his hip pocket, and the broad collar of his shirt was clasped at the neck by a twisted silk handkerchief. As for Dot, her clustering curls rippled from under a jaunty straw hat and fluttered about her pretty shoulders, while the rest of her visible attire consisted of a simple dress, shoes, and stockings. The extra clothing taken with her on her visit was tied in a neat small bundle fastened the saddle behind Melville. Should they encounter any sudden change in the weather, they were within easy reach, while the lad looked upon himself as strong enough to make useless any such care for himself. Once or twice Melville stopped Saladin and let Dot down to the ground, that she might gather some of the bright flowers growing by the wayside, and at a spring of bubbling icy-cold water both halted and quaffed their fill, after which Saladin was allowed to push his nose into the clear fluid and do the same. Once more they mounted, and without any occurrence worth the telling, reached the bank of the stream at the upper crossing. He halted a minute or two to look around before entering the water, for, as you will bear in mind, he had now reached a spot which gave him a more extended view than any yet passed. Their own home was in plain sight, and naturally the eyes of the brother and sister were first turned in that direction. It appeared just as they expected. Moderate in size, built of logs somewhat after the fashion on the frontier at an earlier date, with outbuildings and abundant signs of thrift, it was an excellent type of the home of a sturdy American settler of the present. "'Oh, Mel!' suddenly exclaimed Dot, calling her brother by the name she always used. "'Who is that on horseback?' Dot pointed to a slight eminence between their house and the stream, and shifting his gaze, Melville saw an Indian horseman standing as motionless as if he and his animal were carved in stone. He seemed to have reined up on the crest of the elevation and, coming to a halt, was doing the same as the brother and sister, 
surveying his surroundings. His position was midway between Melville and his house, and his horse faced the brother and sister. The distance was too great to distinguish the features of the red man clearly, but the two believed he was looking at them. Now there was nothing to cause special alarm in this sight, for it was a common thing to meet Indians in that part of the country, where indeed many of them may be seen today. But the lad suddenly remembered that when looking in the direction of his home he had failed to see any signs of life, and he was at once filled with a misgiving which caused him to swallow a lump in his throat before answering the question. "'Who is he, Mel?' "'Some Indian. He's too far off for me to tell who he is, and likely enough we have never seen him before. What's he looking at us so sharply for?' "'I'm not sure that he is looking at us. His face seems to be turned this way, but he may have his eyes on something else.' "'Watch him! See what he's doing!' No need to tell the lad to watch, for his attention was fixed upon the warrior. Just as Dot spoke, he made a signal which the intelligent youth could not comprehend. He flung one end of a blanket in the air slightly above and in front of him, and, holding the other part of it in his hand, waved it vigorously several times. That it was intended for the eyes of the brother and sister seemed beyond all question. But as I have said, they did not know what it meant, for it might have signified a number of things. It is a practice with many Indians to use such means as a taunt to their enemies, but they generally utter shouts and defiant cries, and nothing of the kind was now heard. Besides this, it was not to be supposed that a Sioux warrior, that no doubt being the tribe of the red man before them, would indulge in any such action in the presence of a single white youth and small girl. "'I don't understand it,' said Melville. "'But I'll be as polite as he.' With which he took off his hat and swung it above his head. Then, seeing that the Indian had ceased waving his blanket, he replaced his hat, still watching his movements. The next moment the Sioux wheeled his horse and, heading westward, galloped off with such speed that he almost instantly vanished. The Indian had been gone less than a minute when Melville spoke to Saladin, and he stepped into the water. The instant his hoof rested on dry land, the youth struck him into a swift canter, which was not checked until he arrived at the house. While yet some distance the lad's fears were deepened by what he saw, or rather by what he failed to see. Not a horse or cow was in sight. Only the ducks and chickens were there, the former waddling to the water. When Archie Clarendon made his home on that spot a few years before, one of the questions he had to meet was as to the best way of guarding against attacks from Indians, for there were plenty of them in that part of the country. There are very few red men who will not steal, and they are so fond of fire-water, or intoxicating drink, that they are likely to commit worse crimes. The pioneer, therefore, built his house much stronger than he would have done had he waited several years before putting it up. It was made of logs, strongly put together, and the windows were so narrow that no person, unless very slim, could push his way through them. Of course, the door was heavy, and it could be fastened in its place so firmly that it would have resisted the assault of a strong body of men. By this time Melville, who had galloped up to the front and brought his horse to a halt, was almost sure that something dreadful had happened, and he hesitated a moment before dismounting or lowering Dot to the ground. She began twisting about in his grasp, saying plaintively, "'Let me down, Mel. I want to see Papa and Mama.' "'I don't think they're here,' he said, again swallowing a lump in his throat." 
She turned her head around and looked wonderingly up in his face, not knowing what he meant. He could not explain, and he allowed her to drop lightly to her feet. "'Wait a minute,' he called. "'I'll take a look inside.' In imagination he saw an awful sight. It was that of his beloved parents slain by the cruel red men, one of whom had waved his blanket tauntingly at him only a few minutes before. He could not bear that Dot should look upon the scene that would haunt her as it would haunt him to her dying day. He meant to hold her back until he could take a look inside, but her nimble feet carried her ahead, and she was on the porch before he could check her. Saladin was a horse that would stand without tying, and paying no heed to him, the youth hurried after his sister, seizing her hand as it was raised to draw the string hanging outside the door. "'Dot,' he said, "'why do you not obey me? You must wait till I first go in.' It was not often her big brother spoke so sternly, and there came a tear into each of the bright eyes as she stepped back and poutingly waited for him to do as he thought best." Melville raised his hand to draw the latch, but his heart failed. Stepping to one side, he peered through the narrow window that helped to light up the lower floor. The muslin curtain was partly drawn, but he was able to see most of the interior. Table, chairs, and furniture were all in place, but not a glimpse of a living person was visible. The emotions of childhood are as changeable as the shadows of the flitting clouds. Dot was pouting while Mel stood irresolute on the small porch, and was sure she would never, never speak to the mean fellow again. But the instant he peeped through the narrow window, she forgot everything else, and darted forward to take her place at his side and find out what it was that made him act so queerly. Before she reached him, she stopped short with the exclamation, "'Oh, Mel, here's a letter for you!' End of chapter 1